Maybe it isn't the mountains themselves. Maybe it's the fact that it's only you and yourself and your own breath and there's nothing there to distract you and you're forced to go into yourself to find that strength and pull it out. Maybe that's the spiritual aspect of mountains. Maybe it has nothing to do with where you physically are. But for me, like in the same way that I think maybe you can go to a to a to a place of spiritual significance to people, I feel that when you are in these spaces, these natural temples that that this is where, you know, you really become connected with yourself with the universe with whatever it is that you believe in god yoda mountains whatever and and you find something there and and that's why I, that's why i describe mountains as a religion and when i when i got to the summit of of amadablum the only thing that happened to me at, over there you know people go oh so what do you do at the summit i'm like well i fell to my knees and bawled my eyes out i had a snickers bar and then went down <laughs> like that's 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 about the extent. there's there's no there's no champagne Rami Rasamni is a mountaineer and the Lebanese founder of Life Happens Outdoors an adventure travel community he and his team of mountain climbers and hikers take small groups of people to places like Tanzania, Peru, and Nepal to experience the majesty of nature and its transformative power. But it wasn't always that way. At one point in his life when he was a teenager, Rami fell into a self-destructive pattern that included overeating and drinking too much. That's where this story starts. I'm Nadia Michelle, and this is TMR Thrill Seekers. I woke up in the middle of the night craving a cigarette and that scared the hell out of me. And I think a lot of people, you know, at, at least, at least to my mind, sometimes hitting that wall or recognizing that you've hit that wall is so important. And I believe sometimes it has to be allowed to happen. Um, you have to hit that wall and uh, to, to understand exactly where you are. Um, that there, you know, it doesn't get lower than this, or if it does, then <laughs> that's, that's a really dark place. That was my first trigger. Uh, that was my first recognition that I was, you know, this isn't right for me. And, and that actually put me on the path to quitting smoking. Uh, I actually stopped smoking cold Turkey at that point. And I think I might have, maybe, maybe there was a relapse or two that were not even worth talking about. Like there were, you know, negligible moments, but I would say that that would be, the, that was the moment that I quit smoking, but then other things kind of triggered me, like egged me along towards the path of going back to mountains. And def I'm not going to lie. There was definitely at one point, uh, a girl, <laughs> um, and a breakup that, uh, that may have triggered, um, something in me to kind of want to at maybe at first show her that I was doing okay, but eventually it was really to show myself that I was doing okay and empowering myself. And I think that's not, that's a normal thing to happen. I think a lot of people don't set out with the purest of intentions or the purest of goals. And then as they, as they kind of move along, they, they formulate their or they reformulate their goals. They, they find new motivation. And so that's why I always say you just get started. Um, at one point, <laughs> uh, a while ago now, in my mind, it feels like yesterday, but you know, you, you always carry this with you, I suppose. Um, but, um, at one point I was, uh, a, a binge drinking, chain smoking, uh, 
much larger person. <laughs> um, I was, I was a much heavier person and, uh, I was very far away from the outdoors. Um, I, I used to live in London. I was uh, studying to become a lawyer and I went through a, a difficult process, um, that eventually led me to, uh, reconnect with what I love at a very fundamental level, which is mountains. Because when I was a child, my parents were all about mountains and mountains was my happy, like that was my happy place. So, but when you become a teenager, you know, it's normal to kind of deviate a little bit from some of the things that you, you did as a child. Uh, and you know, for me, it was a large, maybe a, a larger deviation than most. Um, I really was, uh, like I, I <laughs> drinking a lot, um, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Um, couldn't go up to my first floor apartment, uh, without using the elevator. So it was a completely different life. And, uh, and over time, uh, lucky, luckily for me fairly early on, I would say, um, I kind of reconnected with, with mountains, with skiing in particular and rock climbing. That was something that was always very important to me, which I got I was really far away from at one point and I, I reconnected with that and it, it brought happiness back to my life and meaning and purpose. And that's where I kind of devoted my everything to. And that's been my, my journey ever since. Um, not to say that it was linear. I didn't like kind of see the light and that was the end of that, <laughs> you know, it, nothing in life is like that at all. But, um, I, I, I was, I definitely was able to basically start setting goals for myself that I wanted to achieve. I set the goalposts and once you set the goalposts, which I think are, you know, that's one of the most difficult things to do is to set the goalposts because now you have a benchmark against which you can also fail. But if you are afraid of failing, then you will never do anything at all. And so I think setting the goalposts, like deciding I wanted to go back to mountains, deciding that there were certain mountains I wanted to climb, certain lines I wanted to ski, certain places I wanted to go and and and, and experience for myself, I started to channel everything in my life towards uh, somehow towards that goal, whether it was through the choices of my my nutrition or uh or you know stopping like quitting smoking. One of the goalposts Rami set for himself was to climb a mountain called Amadablam in the eastern Himalayas in Nepal. Amadablam can be seen from Mount Everest Base Camp, and it's recognizable thanks to soaring ridges and very steep faces. The main peak is around 6,800 meters, which is relatively low for the Himalayas, but it's a difficult mountain to climb, and one that's been plagued with tragedy. In 2006, an avalanche swept away several tents at a base camp, killing six climbers. And in 2017, Russian base jumper Valery Rozov was killed when he jumped from the mountain in a wingsuit and struck a cliff. Rami had a different kind of experience. A few years ago, uh, I think it was 2018, I went uh, for my first climb in the Himalayas. I climbed a mountain called Amadablam, 6,812 meters. Um, beautiful mountain. One of, like, I'd never seen Amadablam before, uh, before going to climb. And uh, it, it was, it's just a mountain that to, for me was like, I, it, they call it the Matterhorn of the Himalayas. And I had already climbed the Matterhorn a few years earlier in in, in the Alps, um, which was a mountain that meant a lot to me because I saw it for the first time when I was 10 years old. And I think that's the reason I like wanted to become a mountaineer was just 
because I wanted to climb the Matterhorn. So going to the Himalayas to climb the Matterhorn of the Himalayas was a, was a, was a big, a big thing for me. And, uh, although I said to everybody, you know, that I'm, it's not about the summit, it's not about the summit, but I mean, every, every mountaineer who goes to the top, goes to a mountain in their hearts, they want to go to the top. It's the truth, no matter what, you know, we say, um, and we try our best to humble ourselves to what the mountain wants, but you know, sometimes it's just, it just is, you know, in, in your heart, you want to go to the top, but there's something about it. So when I got there, I was, uh, I was a little bit arrogant. Um, I felt like I could, you know, I, I was, the, I was here, I was there on my own. So I felt like I had nobody kind of weighing me down and I could do this the way I wanted to do it. And, uh, and so on the first day when I wanted to go up to acclimatize at the, at camp one from base camp, um, I, I did what, what is normally like an eight or nine hour day. I kind of went up there in full force with, you know, and I got there in three hours with all my gear and I was, you know, very like, okay, I've got this. And that night the mountain gave me a walloping. Like I had the craziest headache you could possibly imagine. I couldn't sleep. I felt like hell. I, I have a lot of experience at high altitude. And I think this was the first time that I actually got you know, mountain sickness in this way. Like it was, it was horrendous and I had to go back down. So I went back down to base camp the next day, uh, completely defeated. After that, the mountain was, uh, was just throwing weather after weather after weather. And there was no opportunity for me to actually go up and climb. And it became a real, like a, a reality, you know, that, that I may not actually be even have the opportunity to go and give this mountain a shot anyway. Um, I eventually kind of let go of the summit. I let go of what it is that I thought I was going to come and achieve over here. And I, I remember in particular, I went and I, I, I did a little meditation in front of the mountain. It was the first time that I kind of even, I, I hadn't even realized up until that point that I hadn't sat and actually just looked at the mountain and looked at this incredible, beautiful thing, this temple that's in front of me. And it I, I, it just hit me at that point. And so I, I, I sat there and I just, I meditated and just accepted that I was going to, it was going to be whatever the mountain was, however the mountain was going to have it. And I wanted to detach myself from the emotion of that because that's, and that's a difficult thing to do, I think, um, is to detach yourself from the emotion of, of, of something that you, you, you feel very strongly towards or something that you want to achieve. A few days later, the weather window opened up and I actually went to camp one. This time it took me 11 hours instead of three. <laughs> I took my sweet time, slept, felt really good. The next day I went to camp two, slept, felt really good. Woke up at midnight, which is when I planned to go to the summit from camp two. I remember I opened the, the, the zipper of my tent. I looked up, the weather looked great. And I said, you know what? I could do another two hours of sleep. <laughs> and that's what I did. I went back to sleep. Um, and I, cause I, I just felt, I just somehow I felt connected to this mountain and what it is that I was doing. And I felt like I was in, in the right space. Eventually I, I, I left the camp. I went up to climb. I was on my own that night, completely on my own. There was nobody around. And in those last steps before reaching the summit of the mountain, I remember my heart rate was going up and I was constantly going back to my breath and just saying, okay, you know, calm down, think about your breath, bring that, that heart rate down, be in the moment, be completely wired into the moment. Nothing that happened before or after matters. It was just about what I was doing in that moment, in that space. And something happened in the last 100 meters. And, you know, 
call it fate, call it God, call it Yoda, call it whatever it is that you, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat. Um, but somehow when I, just when I felt like I was, I had nothing left, something took me and pulled me up to, to, to the top of the mountain. Um, and in my, in, in my head, in my mind, it, it looked to me like it was my grandparents. Like that's, that's the kind, that's the energy that I felt. And maybe a little bit of what I saw, uh, call me crazy. Um, but something happened that, and, and it's not the first time that that happens to me in those mountains because mountains have a way of tearing you down completely, breaking you into your, into your, your very basic parts. And then it reassembles you again in a way that you can't even imagine. And every single person who's, who I've ever climbed with, uh, you know, especially on, on a mountain like Kilimanjaro, it's like, I know exactly, I'm going to, I'm, I know that I'm going to watch them be torn apart. And then I, I know that I'm also going to watch them be put back together in a, in a, in a different way, in a way that where that they couldn't, that they can't even imagine. And, 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 and they're going to be somehow, I, I don't want to use the word reborn, but you do see it. Like when the sun comes up on summit night on Kilimanjaro, you see people who 10 minutes earlier were falling apart, suddenly come back to life and color returns to their face and energy, they get energized and they, and perspectives change and something happens to them. And, and, and that thing doesn't go away just at the summit. It stays with them forever. And, and that's what, and that's what I mean by, you know, you, you mountains are somehow maybe not a religion as much as there is, there is something spiritual that happens there. And maybe it's because it's just you, like maybe, maybe that's the thing about mountains. Maybe it isn't the mountains themselves. Maybe it's the fact that it's only you and yourself and your, your, and your own breath. And there's nothing there to distract you. And you're forced to go into yourself to find that strength and pull it out. Maybe that's the spiritual aspect of mountains. Maybe it has nothing to do with where you physically are. But for me, like in the same way that I think maybe you can go to a, to a, to a place of spiritual significance to people, I feel that when you are in these spaces, these natural temples, that that's, this is where, you know, you really become connected with yourself, with the universe, with whatever it is that you believe in God, Yoda, mountains, whatever. And, and you find something there. This spiritual element is something Rami tries to share with others through his business, Life Happens Outdoors, which he co-founded with his life partner, Gida Arnaut. When we spoke, he had just returned from a trip with five people to the southernmost part of the American continent, Chile. So Chile is, uh, well, okay. So it's a, it's a place I've always wanted to go. I mean, every single person who's in kind of adventure travel and mountains and, um, you know, has, has ever come across anything to do with the outdoors, um, would hear the name Patagonia. It's, uh, it's a, it's a famous brand, uh, but it's also, it's named after one of the most remote and spectacular regions on the planet, which is, uh, the region of Patagonia. It's it's on the southern part of um, South America. It's between Chile and Argentina. So Patagonia is a region that kind of spans between these two countries. 
it's, I, I don't even know where to start. Um, you know, you, you've got these incredible like volcanoes and glaciers and fjords and lakes, and it's so remote and gigantic. I mean, it's a place that you can really just go and get lost there forever and, and, and never come back because it's just so, it's so magical. And it's just, a, it's a, it's a phenomenal place. I highly recommend it to anybody who's thinking about, you know, where do I go on an adventure? Patagonia is, is the place. Um, it's got something for everybody. So you have these incredible walks, you've got some mountaineering, if that's interesting for you and rock climbing, if that's interesting for you, but you can also do, you know, just beautiful, like bird watching and scenic tours. And it's, it's really got something for, for everybody. And it's like, yeah, I don't even, it's so difficult for me to explain it because it's so fresh in my mind as well. I'm practically there in my mind at the moment. Chile sure sounds amazing, but nothing is perfect. And that's kind of the beauty of it all. Apparently, uh, in the northern part of Patagonia, which is where we um, we actually started our our, our adventure this this um, in December, there are these flies that are called horse flies, um, and the horse fly is pretty much the size of your thumb, so it's a pretty big fly, and and they only exist in this region for one week a year. And it just happened to be the one week that we were there. Um, thankfully, we didn't spend our entire time in Northern Patagonia, but for every everywhere where there was a body of water, there were swarms of these horse flies and they're, and they just, they just, they're all over you. And you, you know, you, you kind of, you throw your hand and you knock like three or four out. I mean, that's just how many there are. It was kind of, it was kind of like a cartoon, you know, you know, when Bugs Bunny is kind of walking and he gets like, uh, you know, there's a swarm of bees around them and you have that, it, 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 no joke. It kind of looked like that. Now they're quite harmless. They don't do anything, but they're, they're just really annoying and they're buzzing. And if you look at like through my, my, my camera lens, every single picture I took, you'd see like, you know, there's, there's, there's one of these things that just kind of like flying across the lens, really, really, really annoying. At one point we jumped into, into a freezing lake. Like literally we swam in the lake just to get away from them and just have some peace. Um, so that was, that was actually a funny, a funny moment. Um, and we only had to deal with them for really one day because they're, they're only annoying and they're only so present when we're close to water. When we're away from the water, there's, you know, fresh water. Um, they're not really there. And once we went to Southern Patagonia, it's a completely different environment. So there's there's nothing there. And that's one of the cool things about Chile where, you know, uh, Santiago is up in the north. It's just on the Southern part of the Atacama Desert. So you can imagine it's really dry. Um, the mountains there are really high. So you have up to 6,000 meter mountains just around um, Santiago. And then as you go down Chile, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a country that runs a, across several latitudes. Um, you, you actually pass through, you know, you'll go through, uh, kind of these Alpine vegetation areas where it's very lush, very green. And you go all the way down to the big Patagonia ice fields that are just off Antarctica. So you have, you have basically, you start in the desert and you end up in Antarctica. That's how vast and enormous this place is. Visiting places like Chile and braving the elements can actually have quite a profound effect on people especially those who are stepping out of their comfort zone and pushing themselves to do something that kind of scares them. In my opinion, if you're afraid of flies, you should probably go to Patagonia. In some instances, like especially on some of the more challenging trips, um, people kind of meet their demons and uh, and you're, you're intimately involved in that and uh and you participate in in that transformation process that that naturally happens to all of us when we're in these incredible places and and challenging ourselves and sometimes pushing our limits and so the bond that you create with 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 the people you're with is 
is is beyond just friendship. Uh, you 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 go through big experiences together, life changing experiences most of the time, and uh, and you walk away from these experiences with with yeah family basically. Sometimes you know we we laugh when we call them you know trail families, but they're re- they're real families. You know once you have once you share these experiences um, with somebody, you can't but have a bond that just transcends, you know, the trip itself and becomes something that, I mean, my, I have WhatsApp groups from trips, uh, that happened four years ago that are still buzzing till today. And I, I, I'm not going, I'm not telling people you should, you know, let's all go off to the mountains and never come back. And, you know, and let's all sing Kumbaya. That's not it at all. Uh, quite the contrary. I, I feel like the more you go out there, the more, the more powerful and the more enabled you become when you come back here, when you come back into your city life, things get put into perspective in ways that are, that are, that are so interesting. And for some people that perspective might mean a career shift, but for others, it might be to actually see how valuable their, their careers actually are, or maybe to reinforce something that they'd lost, you know, over time or so it's just perspective is so interesting and it's, it's so different between one person and the other. Nature might in fact help to buffer the effects of loneliness and social isolation. Research has shown that loneliness can not only cause depression, but even poor cardiovascular function and a weaker immune system. Loneliness and social isolation are in fact twice as harmful to physical and mental health than obesity. But when people with low social connectedness have high levels of nearby nature, they report higher levels of well-being. An adventure in the wilderness can change your perspective on life, even in the most difficult circumstances. It can relieve you of anxiety and negative emotions, kind of like a natural antidepressant. It's something Rami has personally experienced. I don't think what if, but I do carry my choices with me wherever, especially the ones that were difficult I or the ones that led me to difficult places. I do carry them with me um, almost in my daily life, like they, they do, they, they do sit somewhere beneath the surface, uh, almost as a reminder of where things could have gone or can go still because it, you know, there's no finish line. Right. So it's not like it's all over. Um, at, you know, if you, if you kind of let, you know, let go of the reins and and let things slip, it's like your, your demons, but they're behind you rather than in front of you. And they're there to remind you of what happens if you decide to just stop where you are because they'll catch up with you. So you, you're always a little bit ahead of them rather than have them in front of you where they prevent you from doing anything in your life because you're so scared of them. And, and life happens outdoors has been a kind of a product of that as well, because, um, I, I see a lot of people who, uh, who, who resemble, not ne- not necessarily me physically because that's not what I'm talking about, um, but resemble my worldview, um, or at least the, my view of myself back when I was um, when I was in that space uh, of feeling like this was something that was for somebody else. It wasn't for me. I couldn't do it. I don't want to set myself up for failure, so I won't even try. That whole mentality, and and I've and and so I've kind of we've kind of geared this LHO community towards pulling people out of that space and giving them, you know, a a trajectory or, or goals or something 
for themselves to feel like there is there is space for me over here and I can actually do that. And once you sense that, once you feel that, once you kind of see results, even if it's something as silly as walking one trail for a few hours, the moment you realize that you can do that, wow, like that's 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 power right there that you can't even imagine. And I've seen it. I've seen people who've put on their trekking shoes for the very first time on on a trail where, you know, they thought to themselves, probably genuinely thought to themselves that this is a one-off experience. I'm just going to try this out. I'm just trying to prove something to myself and then I'll just go back to my regular life. And now like six, seven trips down the line, they're, they're still coming back and they're achieving things that I couldn't achieve. You can find out more about LHO's upcoming trips on their website, lifehappensoutdoors.com. And you can check out Rami on Instagram at lifehappensoutdoors. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like it and follow us on whatever platform you're listening on. You can find me on Instagram at Nadia Michelle underscore. See you soon.